be here with you on this beautiful Sunday morning. Pastor Rob is fighting for freedom and liberty, representing you guys well across the nation this weekend, but he'll be back next week. So, Hey, we want to, in this morning's service, and I apologize for those who are with us, who are was here last night. Dr. McDonald was awesome, wasn't he? It was, it was really great. And if you didn't catch that, a uh, medical doctor in, psychi- in psychiatry, uh, Dr. Mark McDonald was with us last night, and you can check that out on our live stream. And uh, what a blessing, because to hear a professional saying the same things that so many people from different sectors are saying with his new book, really encouraging. But I shared last night, and I want to share this morning, For the last two years, we have been steamrolled with bad news over and over. So it's nice to pause, take a breath, and celebrate those wins. Uh, If you caught the New York Post, last Friday, Texas judge blocks Biden vaccine mandate for federal workers, January 21st. That's not only a, a wonderful win for our liberty, but in a very special way, When a Sunday morning came and one of the federal workers in our fellowship said, hey, I'm a fed, Um, we have about 20 people that would like to fight for freedom, and then I said, well, let's pray and get together and round up anybody you can, and after a day or two, it was 40 people, then he connected with a national group of 4,500, and so we had a Feds for Medical Freedom night here at God Speak, and Dr. Simone Gold came and spoke, and it is that case that came from this church that got that done. 3.5 million people. Three and a half million people were the recipients of the freedom fighters of God's speak. Isn't that awesome? You guys rock. And along with that, to uh, piggyback on that, um, the Los Angeles school put off a student vaccine mandate until next fall, specifically because of a lawsuit brought by Perk by Amy Bond and her crew, who are from this fellowship too. Amy Bond and Nicole Pearson and some of their teammates, and there were 35,000 kids in the LA school district that did not want to be vaccinated against their will. And so they brought freedom. They also had filed up in Piedmont. They figured, hey, Los Angeles School District is the second largest school district in America, only second to New York. And they thought, well, we filed here. Let's file up in San Francisco and Piedmont. And when Piedmont School District heard the ruling down here, they just dropped their vaccine mandate altogether. And I've been worried about our neighbors up north. I don't know about you, up in Canada, because they seem psycho. And... uh, But the Canadian trucker's convoy descends on Ottawa yesterday. (laughs) They came all the way from Vancouver, a six-day convoy. The world record is a five-mile convoy. Theirs was 43 miles long. 16,000 truckers going across Canada saying, we have big trucks and you have small needles, that doesn't work for us, (laughs) right? (laughs) Well, we have to stop and pause and celebrate in some of that good news, but when we think about um, where we're at in our country and the leadership and the administration that's brought us here, 
Let me pause for a moment. If you need a Bible, Carol's back here. Her arms are about ready to break off. She's been holding these Bibles. Raise your hand if you need a Bible. The service team will get you one. And we're going to be standing in a few moments. If you have a Bible, you'll want to open to the book of Ezra. Because in our Anchored in the Word series, we are reading through God's Word. Reading through God's Word. And we're in the book of Ezra. And there's no books like Ezra and Nehemiah to really see how to rebuild a nation. Last week, we looked at a man that rescued a nation and basically put pushed the pause button on the discipline and uh, judgment that was coming to the nation of Israel because of his repentance and his godliness, a guy by the name of Josiah. But in between our message last week and this week is a 70-year period of time in which the nation of Israel fell, they were disciplined, and they were exiled into Babylon. And so this is at the end of that 70 years, and God is going to raise them up. He gave them a promise. Because you see, God loves to rebuild people's lives. He loves to rebuild families. He loves to rebuild marriages. He loves to rebuild nations that turn to him. And so we want to be a part of that. And it's such a joy to be a part of this fellowship. You know, this uh, February 8th, we're starting basically the community organizational arm of Godspeak called Free Ventura. And as you see this invitation here, keeping Ventura County free through common sense leadership. And so we are going to be rounding up, not only doing voter registration, voters' guides, but actively, prayerfully recruiting and helping candidates get into office that actually want to make a difference in their community. And so we here, through Pastor Rob's leadership, have had a message for a long time about liberty and citizenship mixed with our faith, because we should be the salt and light of the world. And yet we get fired up, but we don't have a practical place to go. So that's what we've been working on, is a practical place to plug people in. We want to train up poll watchers in this election year. We're going to do a lot of things. Because you know in Virginia what we saw happen. Our sister church over in Virginia trained up a thousand poll watchers to help with that election cycle. And they won big time with the governor, the attorney general, and the lieutenant governor. And so it is through us getting involved. So we have a great schedule that night. We already have candidates that are going to speak, give their uh, five-minute pitch on that February 8th, 6.30, right here at Godspeak for the launch of Free Ventura. Now, we know we're in a good place because the ACORN and letters to the editors have already come out against us, and we haven't even launched yet. So... You know, when you, when you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that barks is the one you hit. So, <clears throat> but thank God he gives us different, some of you are a little slow this morning on us. Catch up. Second cup of coffee. Thank God he gives us difficult things to do, says Oswald Chambers. Thank God he has given us challenging things to do, lest we squander our days through laziness and complacency, we have a cause in our relationship with Jesus and our cause for our countrymen to stand up. And for that, we want to start here, How to Rebuild a Nation, learning some lessons, seven thoughts that we glean from the first six chapters, just highlighting some principles that Ezra and those who came back in the Return to Jerusalem, discovered. So let's stand together and read these first verses of chapter 1 of the book of Ezra. 
So we learn how to rebuild our nation. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you of all his people. May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the free will offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Father, we ask now, as we look at your word and you give us great insight and a roadmap how to rebuild the nation, we pray that you would teach us now, feed our souls, Lord, open our eyes that we would see wonderful things from your word. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. God doesn't manufacture synthetic heroes like the world does. He grows the authentic, real thing. Daniel Borston said, the hero is a big man, a celebrity is a big name. Those are two different things. One is built from character inside that God forges, and the other is made by publicists and uh, those who will puff someone's name or reputation. When we look at the heroes in the scriptures, there's a list of them in this book, and we don't have time to dive into all of them, but to suffice it to say, we're looking at the crowd as heroic in this situation. See, the first thing you have to discover about God rebuilding a nation is it is in God's heart to do so. In this passage, in verse 1, we see the promises of God, for it says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. You see, the Lord, 70 years before, had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah, and God gives promises to his people to encourage us to, by faith, believe those promises and to act upon those promises. It is a faith that is in motion. And when that 70 years comes about, this is where the promise was made in Jeremiah 29.10, for thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. How do you discipline a nation? How do you spank a nation? How do you put them on time out, right? In individual parenting, you have a model of discipline that the scriptures give us. And there might be different ways, whether it's a word of correction or a time out or a spanking. I know that's foreign to many people today. But the scriptures say, you know, the foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from them. I've discovered that. I raise kids. It's an amazing thing what happens. A spanking will turn into five days of absolute respect. <laughs> and then after five days, the memory stops and you have to start all over the process. <laughs> That's with young children. Obviously, the older they get, the less that happens. And you start talking about different things like grounding or taking away privileges. But whatever the disciplinary process. But how do you do that for a nation, right? If we are God's kids, the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, God warned them, he warned them, he warned them, he warned them. And then he 
took them away to put them on timeout in a pagan land that was filled with idols. That's what got them in trouble in the first place. The Lord's like, you want idols? Let's uh, show you real idolatry. And then 70 years later, the promise comes and he goes, okay, you've learned your lesson. Now, the children of Israel, when they came back, they had a lot of failure. They had hard-heartedness. They, they had a lot of rebellion or disobedience that took place. But the children of Israel after that time never, ever went back into idolatry. They learned their lesson. So this 70-year effect had a fruitfulness to it, and they're now going to come back based on this promise. But you see, the promise is twofold. This is crazy. Just like I shared with you last week about Josiah. Josiah was named by the Lord 300 years before he showed up on the scene, by name. Now we have Jeremiah saying, 70 years, you guys are going to go back to Jerusalem. That's exactly what's happening. But beyond that, Cyrus is named 150 to 175 years by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 44, tells us in verse 2, first of Ezra, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God has, of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. So King Cyrus is not some anonymous person to God as the king of Persia, as he steps on the scene, the Lord has spoken of him in Isaiah 44, verse 28. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he shall perform all my pleasures, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Now, once again, isn't it mind-blowing? Do you ever just contemplate this eternal God that dwells outside of time, that he knows the end of the story before it even unfolds, that as David said in Psalm 139 that all the days of my life are already written in your book. My life, my biography is already written from beginning to end, and so is yours. God sees it. He knows everything about you. The beauty and the comfort of that is God is never surprised. Do you ever think there's a moment something bad happens? Say like the last year of Biden's administration. <laughs> Do you think the Lord's up in heaven like, oh my, I thought he was a moderate. No. Never happens. Never, never surprise. You can never surprise God. So since God knows and he calls in advance, how much more can you trust him for tomorrow? He knows what you're going to face tomorrow, even when it's hard. Even when you get the news that somebody you love passed away. He, he sees that. He knows. He's out in front of all of that. And God uses a pagan king, as far as we know, Cyrus. And yet the traditional perspective is, is that Daniel lets him know when Cyrus shows up on the scene. Daniel, who had discovered the 70 years and also knew the prophet Isaiah, traditionally, it's not in the scriptures, Daniel makes known to Cyrus, hey, you know what? God talked about you 150 years ago. And this is what he said about you. And he shares this verse with him. And Cyrus is stunned, right? Imagine somebody, Ben Franklin, wrote a note about, with your name and said, this person's going to do this. Right? And somebody pulls it out of the archives 150 years later and delivers it to you. Says, hey, Ben Franklin had a note for you. Wouldn't that be like, whoa, that'd blow your mind. By name, he calls him out. And so uh, I like what John Watson, the Puritan preacher, said. God can make a straight stroke with a crooked stick. Meaning that God uses pagan kings throughout history. They may be a crooked stick, but when God wants to use them, he can make a straight stroke. 
He can use anybody for our glory. For heaven's sakes, he even used a donkey to speak to Balaam so he can get the job done. But what about our nation? We see this story unfolding before us about God rebuilding his people, his nation, Israel. But you see, we have promises that are broad enough to encompass any nation throughout history on the planet because God has a heart for people. You see, our nation, as the psalmist said in Psalm 89.1, with my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. Man, it's a beautiful thing to share with people how faithful God is. That's the beauty of walking with God for a long time because you can share with younger people. God's gonna, he's faithful. He'll get you through this. And they'll look at you, how do you know he's gonna get me through this? Because you've been through so much stuff and God's gotten you through. Has, God has never let me down. Now, we're not going to talk about the long chronology of me letting him down, but God has never let me down. When I put my trust in him, he never, ever lets me down. And I want to declare to all generations his faithfulness, his goodness, trust him and you cannot go wrong. You cannot go wrong. Now, in Psalm 33, 12, it says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Now, that's a generic verse for any nation on the planet, right? Any nation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. If you believe in Jesus, whether you're here in the United States or you're in the underground church in China or the underground church in Korea or you're in Uganda, wherever you are, God will bless and minister to his inheritance, to his people. But we realize this, if God's people don't step up and to be salt and light in that preserving, illuminating factor in any culture, Proverbs 14 says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Second Chronicles 7.14, you guys know it well. There are three things that we can do to see God move, and there are three things that he says he will do in response. It says, if my people who are called by name will... Number one, humble themselves. Number two, pray and seek my face. Number three, turn from their wicked ways. God says he'll do three things. Number one, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins, number two, and heal their land, number three. That goes for any people, any nation, any land, and any time in history if you are his people. We are his people and God wants to work in our hearts and our lives and God wants to rebuild the nation of the United States because it is crumbling from the inside out. It is crumbling from moral corruption among the people and among the leadership. And the only way is to turn back to God. So God's people and the key to rebuilding a nation is to rebuild the community of God. You know, when MacArthur, after the treaty of World War II, he suggested that 7,000 missionaries be sent to Japan. 7,000 missionaries. What did he know? He knew that if Judeo-Christian ethics could come and touch individual lives, corporate lives, that as people turned to God and morality began to move, that there would be a new freedom and experience in that nation. How did he know that? Because of history. Wherever the gospel goes, transformation happens. You see, for us, step one is to rebuild and strengthen the house of God and the people of God and to be the mean, lean, preaching machine we are called to be. 
that brings the great awakening that we see George Whitfield bring in the 1700s, and we also see the Wesley brothers bringing to Great Britain, that they are attributed through the great awakening in Great Britain of when the uh, French Revolution came and they were lopping off the heads of all the royalty, that they were attributed the revival that took place in Great Britain rescued Great Britain from the same fate because they did not have the Great Awakening in France. And it got darker and darker and uglier and uglier. And thus it goes. The closer a people draw to God, the more freedom and liberty and joy, and the further they get from God, the darkness and the tyranny and the oppression come. Look around, check it out. Look at North Korea. Look at anywhere that this socialist garbage comes. Venezuela. If you saw the news a month ago, six weeks ago, the president of Venezuela, because of the starvation of his own people, they've all on average lost 10 pounds, and he told them to eat less. That was his answer to his people. Eat less. Can you believe it? But when the state becomes the ultimate supreme authority, the state cannot help you. But when God is the ultimate authority and then government flows out of godly morality, the people prosper and flourish and they have more stuffing to eat on Thanksgiving than when we know what to do with. <laughs> right? You got to unbutton the, top, the button. You know, let your belt out a notch. Look at American people. They are not starving because enough liberty remains of prosperity. Take away the liberty, the prosperity goes away. Take away a relationship with God, and darkness comes. You see, you have to rebuild a nation that God first is supreme, and it starts with the people of God, and the house of God, and the word of God. Now, having said that, obviously promises are no, God, no good without people to believe them. That's what God's people are all about. In verse 2, it tells us, excuse me, verses 3 and th 4, the people of God, those who go, who is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods, livestock, besides freewill offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem." Now, there's two categories of people that can help by rebuilding a nation. And that is those who are willing to go because God, through Cyrus, Cyrus gives the command, hey, if you're Jewish and you want to go home and rebuild your homeland, go rebuild Jerusalem, go rebuild the temple of God, then I'm, I'm, I'm telling you to go. I'm setting you free because they've been captive. So I'm setting you free to go. In chapter 2, it tells us 50,000 people rose up and went. Out of the hundreds of thousands that were there, only 50,000 went because the arduous journey of 900 miles did not appeal to a lot of people. If I ask you, hey, I'm going to go on a 900-mile hike next week, you want to come? <laughs> you might sit there and say, can I write you a check and help you? Because I'm staying at home. I'm sitting at home in my easy boy. But realize this, both can help God's kingdom. There are those who are going to step up in action 
to build something physically. They're going to they're gonna throw their name in the hat to run for office in our community, or they're going to step up and go teach Sunday school or help our youth ministry. Wherever it is, there are those who step up in action to serve, and then there are those who have the gift of giving, and the two go together because you step up and you're like, hey, we, we need somebody to support this work financially. We need support to build a larger sanctuary. We need support to build Free Ventura. There are always finances required. So we step up and serve in these two different categories of people. And I love that King Cyrus in his wisdom says, hey, you guys who want to go, go. And those who don't want to go, why don't you write a check and support them? Why don't you send them with sacrifice, send them with gold? You'll help them out. It's just like you might not be called to be a missionary in Africa because it totally freaks you out, right? Big bugs, you don't like big bugs. Snakes, disease, you don't want to go. You're kind of a germaphobe, right? But so you would rather write a check and pray for them. God bless the missionaries in Africa, right? And that is not, uh, you're not a second-class citizen because of that. God knows. Some, I, I promise you if, you, if God calls you to Africa, he'll give you the desire to go. I mean, he will provide what you need. And so there are those who go and those who give. Who are you in this process? Now, let me share with you, there's no third category. That would be you spectators that are neither going nor giving. You're just taking up seats. So I'm inviting you either to go or to give. You know, it's like General Patton said, either lead, follow, or get out of the way. Because realize there's a lot of people that do not, if they do not go and they do not give, all they do is grumble. And that's not helpful at all. So please, shut your yap, get involved, or write a check, because the rest of us are going to get something done to rebuild our nation. Amen? Amen. But if you're going to rebuild a nation, you have to start with God's house. The nation of Israel has been likened, if this is the nation of Israel, this is the body of Israel. And the city of Jerusalem is like the soul of Israel. But the temple, it's the heart of issue. The heart of Israel. You know, if you come up to somebody and they've collapsed, they're unconscious, what is the first thing you check for? A pulse. Is their heart beating? Is their heart beating? And so the pulse, the heartbeat that, that beats for God is the center. And so the house of God is the center. As the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they had the temple in the center. And then the tribes were then camped around the temple. It was at the center of their life. It was at the center of their camp. God was the center priority of their lives. And so if you're going to rebuild your own personal life, that's what has to happen. You're going to rebuild your marriage, that's what's going to have to happen. You're going to rebuild a community, that's what's going to have to happen. Bring it back to the Lord. So the work of God is to rebuild his house for the children of Israel. That temple, and now you and I are that temple of the Holy Spirit. In verse 8 of chapter 3, it tells us, now in the second month of the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, 
Jeshua, also known as Joshua the high priest, Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, and the rest of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, all those who had come out of the captivity to Jerusalem began work and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord. So they came out, people wrote checks, people gave gold, they gave animals for sacrifices. There are those who went, uh, were to go, those were to give, and when they got to Jerusalem, they just started working on the, the broken down temple that Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed. They had to lay the foundation. So these two leaders that step up throughout this story, Zerubbabel is the governor, if you will, and uh, Joshua is the high priest. So they have a civil leader and they have a spiritual leader. And these two work together to rebuild God's house along with the priests and the Levites and those who were involved. Now, when they laid that foundation, then they began to worship because they could see the, hey, we've laid the foundation. Look what God's gonna do. Now, the foundation is a long ways from a finished product, right? You go buy a building project and there's the concrete. Well, there's the foundation, but the foundation has to be solid so that you can build the structure. And so they decide to have a worship service. They're so stoked, I think of it, they're so stoked about a concrete foundation. Imagine how excited they'll be when it's actually done. Because they worship, it tells us in verse 10 through 13, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. Now on one hand, we have a glorious moment of worship. On the other hand, we have a bit of emotional confusion that can hinder the work of God as we lay the foundation and we build God's house. We rebuild a nation first with rebuilding God's people and their focus on the Lord. It is the younger generation versus the older generation in a worship service. Now that just took place just 30 minutes ago. We had Micah, a young man in his 20s, and Micah back here on the electric guitar, jamming away, and the young people said, right on. Worshiping God with electric guitars. Love it. And it's like joy. It's like, it is happening. Worshiping the Lord. And some of the old people. You see, there's a tendency that holds us back from rebuilding the nation. From everybody with gray hair. Now this week I'll be 57, so just... Don't, I, I'm not some young whippersnapper. So, don't be talking trash. I got a microphone. You're in trouble. <laughs> but the reality, and I've observed this through the years, is churches get older and all the hair turns gray and they stick with their music and everything that's 50 years old. And so when the young people come in, they get like, I can't relate. Right, that's what happened to me. I got saved at the age of 19. 
I'm either, you know, we were bull riders, so all my friends and I are bull riders, and we're either going down the road listening to Chris Ledoux, which is a rodeo country that most people don't even know who Chris is, but, or Alabama, or uh, George Strait, or whoever it might be. So we went down the road, and then we would pop that out, and then we would pop in ACDC, you know, and we'd be going down the road, bull riders pulling in behind their Reno jamming to... Uh, Hell ain't a bad place to be. We were all on our highway to hell, so that it was appropriate at the time. You know, we didn't know God. <clears throat> but the thing is, is that then I got saved. And then I turned on Christian music. Now, back in the day, back in the early 80s, I mean, Twyla Paris was at the top of the charts. And Twyla, God bless her heart, but she's a long ways from anything I ever listened to. And I would listen to Christian radio. And I would say, Really? Jesus, I, uh, is this necessary? <laughs> this is terrible. I listened to this Christian radio station, and the guy was from a different area, and he would come on each morning. This is Jack French, and we're praising the Lord. And I'm 19 going, who's this guy talking to? Because nobody my age is listening to him. It's this disconnect between ages, right? So then... You progress, you're growing, music comes a long ways, praise God. But what I've discovered is old people will put up with younger music, and I say that intentionally, put up with, as long as they see the church is filled with young people. I want you to know because the older people are mature, they can do that. The younger people will not put up with old people music for them to come because they're not mature. So if you want to have a multi-generational church that's going to rebuild a nation, you have to understand this. The older people saw the foundation and they saw the glory of the first temple. So when they saw the foundation stones, <laughs> I can't believe this. this is church, it can't be church. So it's, just, it's so terrible, it's so terrible. And the young people who had never seen the temple, they see the foundation like, rock on. We're going we're gonna to rebuild the house of God. They're filled with hope for the future. And the older generation is crying over the good old days. Now, the good old days are really a combination uh, of a bad memory. Because the older I get, the better I was. Or dementia. I'm not sure which is just... It, it's always the, in the good old days, right? Don't you realize... Today is the Lord's. Today is the Lord's. And if we're going to rebuild a nation, we have to do it together with the young and the old. And I want you guys to know, you guys are a shining example of this experience of a multi-generational church that is filled, our, our Sunshiners group is filled with 100 people and our nursery is jam-packed. See, that's the beauty of a multi-generational church. But that is attributed to your godliness and your maturity to be able to embrace that. Amen? And I just want to commend you because I've been in places where that is not the case. There's all this tension, you know, that is going on, usually surrounding music. And I'll have people tell you, it's so loud. I said, I believe in volume seating because if it's too loud for you, then please sit out back. Right? Sit where you can. But I want to see up front. Well, sit out back till the music's over and then get you a seat. Well, at Godspeed, you can't get a seat later. You can't come forward. So you have to be mature enough to build God's kingdom. You have to look at the young people, you guys. This church is rocking at all age groups. 
that's what changes the nation. Because the younger churches, I want you to know, all these 30-something cool, hip, swank, laser show, worship things, they all buckled, folded like a cheap suit, shut down with no guts because the gray hair with character was not there. So you have to bring those things together. You have to bring the gray hair and the stability and the maturity and the backbone with youthful zeal. And when those two things come together, mm, voila, awesome ministry happens. Cool. Now, never tease yourself that exciting things means it's going to be that way because as soon as God brings opportunity, opposition's nipping at its heels, right? As soon as God wants to do a cool thing, the county is suing God speak and 1,000 John Doe's, Pastor Rob McCoy and God speak are being sued by the county supervisors because you can't open up, you can't be bold and do what God wants you to do without opposition. It just doesn't happen. And that's what happens here when we get to chapter 4. And the opposition is twofold. There's an, a desire for first infiltration and then intimidation. Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, let us build with you for we seek your God as you do. And we have sacrificed him since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the father's houses of Israel said to them, you may do nothing with us to build a house for our God, but we alone will build the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So first they tried to infiltrate. They came. This is the people that Esarhaddon had brought in. Now they said, oh, we worship your God too, but they basically just put him on a long list of all the pagan gods that they worshiped. It's a little bit like a guy that was coming to our fellowship years ago from Sri Lanka. And after a couple of Sundays, he said, hey, Pastor Rick, I just want you to know that I believed in your Jesus that you've been preaching about. And I told him, I said, well, that's great. Did you give up the other 10,000 gods that you and your family worship? And he goes, oh, no, I can't do that. I'm just adding Jesus to the list and wanted you to know that. And, and I told him, I said, well, that's the thing. Jesus is a, a jealous God, and he wants all of your heart, and he won't share the throne of your heart with 10,000 other gods. So you have to give those up and surrender only to Jesus, and he was unwilling to do that. You see, these people are coming with the same rhetoric. They're coming and saying, hey, we know your God. Yeah, but they worship all these other gods. And so they said, you know, we, we, we can't help have you help us build the kingdom because you're going to contaminate this with all your pagan worship. And so we can't bring that in. And so they say no to them, but then they say no to them. They're trying to infiltrate because these are the two tactics the devil will always use. He'll come hissing like a serpent to deceive you. And when you recognize it and you resist, then he comes like a roaring lion to intimidate you. So it's, he, he's got two different tactics, and it's great. We are not ignorant of his devices to see what he does. Even here, people have told us, hey, we have moles that are coming to the church, so they know what we're up to. And I'm like, hey, God bless them. Maybe they'll get saved in the process. That's awesome. But they can't help us build the kingdom. They can observe and throw rocks at us, do whatever they want, but they can't help us build the kingdom. 
Now, the intimidation that they brought, it says they hired counselors. They basically hired lobbyists or counselors or lawyers to sue them, to trouble them, and they began to write letters to the king, and we don't have time for the sake of time. They wrote letters to the king to tell them what bad people, you know, the Israel, uh, Jerusalem has this reputation, they won't pay their taxes, you'll have no authority this side of the river if you do this. And, and so they tell them to stop after they write letters. Even though King Cyrus had told them to go build, now with the new leadership, they said stop. It says in verse 21, now give the command to make these men cease that this city may not be built until the command is given by me. They went up in haste to Jerusalem against the Jews and by force of arms made them cease. Thus the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, ceased and it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Paul said in Corinthians about Ephesus, he said, for a great and effective door has been opened to me and there are many adversaries. He said, man, we have this great opportunity and we have many adversaries. Paul the Apostle would go into town and there would be a revival and three weeks later there was a riot. It was like one-two punch over and over. Paul's been here, revival, riot, revival, riot, usually running out in the night, getting beat up, throwing, you know, whatever it was because those things go together. But their intimidation and they told them by force of arms, they came with swords and they told them, you stop building God's house. So the Jews said, okay. And they walked away. For 15 years, for 15 years, the weeds begin to grow up around the foundation. It begins to take over. The people just go, well, I guess that's that. You know, you can't build God's kingdom with, with people coming against you with swords. So they all turn to their own houses, according to Haggai and Zechariah. And they go, well, let's just go build our own kingdoms. Let's go buy, build our own houses and, and let's go uh, do that. And, you know, we, we, we thought God wanted us to do this work, but there's just too much opportunity opposition. You know, if we cave just because people come against us, if you cower in your walk with God because somebody at work now found out you're a Christian and no longer likes you, or you posted something on your Facebook and all the trolls came after you, and you have given up, or you've been, you've been unfriended. I've been unfriended. Oh my, what a blow. We live in a culture that is such a people-pleasing culture. We no longer live in a culture that wants to stand for truth and what is right. And if you want to stand for truth and what is right, you are going to take some shots. So brace yourself, get used to it, and get you some new friends. <clears throat> Well, number seven, what breaks them out of that 15-year lethargy where they just walked away from God's house? Well, you got to have a preacher come to town, right? <laughs> and they had two amazing preachers, Haggai and Zechariah, and they each have written a book in the Minor Prophets. But it tells us in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophets prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of God of Israel, who was over them. So Zerubbabel, the son of Sheotil, and Jeshua, the son of Jehoshadak, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. It is a message of God that comes through human vessels that often changes the course of history. 
Look at it over and over and over, whether it's through uh, world history, whether it's through biblical history, that somebody would inspire, somebody would challenge people to stand up and do what they knew all along. You see, the preacher's job is not to convince you to do something you don't want to do. It's actually to resonate with your soul of what you know you should be doing. People would come in for counseling for years to me, and they would come in and they would say, Pastor, I wanted to meet with you, and, and this is my problems. And I would usually just, this is my response. They'd say, this is my problems. I'm like, okay, how has the Lord told you you should do it? Well, you know, he's already told me that I should do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, okay, I'm here to confirm that's exactly what God wants you to do, so God bless you. So I'm glad I could be a sounding board. They already knew what they needed to do. They just needed somebody that would encourage them that that was the right road to be on, the right course. It's this confirmation, it's this resonance. And I don't know if you're a musician and if you've ever had two guitars in close proximity and you play a chord, you play a string, and and, and the other, you haven't even touched that other guitar string and it begins to resonate and vibrate and make noise. And it's the most fascinating to me because the sound, the sound waves that are going on, it's not even touching it. You see, the resonating of the word of God that the spirit of God brings to the people of God brings us into a united harmony of the strings of our heart that are resonating for the same things. And pretty soon it turns into a symphony. Because as the music comes together through the preaching of the word of God. Now, it's not a popular thing to be a preacher. Did you guys know that? Now, in days of old, it was a popular thing, but no longer. If you see a... Christian pastor in any regard on any kind of TV show, movie, or what, they're usually some psycho. They're some bizarre, weird, uh, you know, hyper judgmental, you know, fire. It's, it's like the footloose guy. It's like this crazy uh, thing. And, but it doesn't mean just because the, the persona is so uh, humiliated by the world. It shouldn't surprise you that if anybody wants to be a voice for God, since ungodly people hate God's message, that they throw a lot of trash their way. It's just the way it is, right? There's no other way around it. So really, this, this message that comes to God's people, hey, you guys, let's build God's kingdom. Let's, let's minister in our community. We're not a bunch of cowering mice hiding in a corner as God's people. For the righteous are as bold as a lion, and the wicked flee when no one pursues them. But that's not the righteous's place. We're as bold as a lion, because Jesus is our king. He is our Lord. And if he's for us, who can be against us? And these promises fill our hearts and fill our souls so that we can move forward, because honestly, who can be against God's people? Right? Nobody. It won't stand. Now, you might go through times of conflict. They might even, I mean, James was beheaded, but even what a great graduation present. I've always thought beheading would be a quick way to go. How about you? Boom. Okay, I'm in heaven. Thanks for that. I'm not so, so great about the slow torture business, but the quick and clean and on my way to heaven, I'm all about. <laughs> but the preachers come, inspire the people, and the people come together. Because we need a voice that says, this is what God's heart is. And people's souls say, yes, it is, because that's what God has been speaking to me. And we move forward in unity, and what happens is it brings to completion 
the rebuilding of the temple, the house of God, which is the heart and where every nation has to rebuild is first the spiritual center and the spiritual focus and the spiritual heartbeat of a nation. Tells us in verse 14 of chapter six, so the elders of the Jews built and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo, and they built and finished it according to the commandment of God of Israel, according to the command of Cyrus Darius and Artaxerxes king of Persia. Now the temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. They finished the work. They built the temple. They came back and it took them years to accomplish it through adversity and opposition and difficulties and yet they got the job done. They did not finish. Did you know that God is a strong finisher? Do you know anybody, I, I, I don't mean to insult anybody, but you might be one of those people that you love to start a project and you never finish it. Now, ladies, please don't elbow any of your husbands. Right, they start this project, they don't finish. They start that, because there's something about getting this stuff and starting a project that's really fun, and then the hard work just to get it all the way to the end and button it up at the end, that's, that's kind of tough. We have a friend that he's a builder, and for other people, he would build and finish projects, but at home, he would start, and he would get it 85% of the way in his home. So every room you went into his house was 85% done. And so when his wife wanted to do a major remodel at the end of, uh, you know, late, I mean, they've been married 50 years. She's gonna do this really nice remodel. And he's, he's a remodeler, he's a builder. She said, I'm hiring somebody else. <laughs> he was so mad and they had a lot of tension in their marriage. She says, we're writing the check, you never finish. You never get the job done. But I want you to know that whatever God starts, he will finish. He told the children of Israel, you go home and you build my house and we're gonna get the job done. Doesn't mean there's not gonna be opposition, doesn't mean it's not gonna be hot, tough, doesn't mean it's not gonna be difficult. Have you ever felt like in your life, you hope you finish well? You ever had that fear, man, I hope I finish well. I don't know how long you've been walking with Jesus, but I've been walking with Jesus for 36 years. And I have one great desire, and that is to finish well and to hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. But life's a long time, isn't it? And the Christian life so daily. It's just like day after day after day. It can be a little monotonous, right? And yet the Lord gives us this incredible promise for his people, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God's gonna finish the work in your life that he has begun. You might be in a rough place right now. You know, growing up on the Snake River, my whole life, the Snake River starts with the watershed of the Grand Tetons at Jackson, and it fills up Jackson Lake, and it just, it's uh, just for a few miles there in Wyoming, and then it comes all the way across the southern part of Idaho. And the uh, Snake River, and it's got the South Fork and the North Fork, and it meanders all over the place. I mean, it's, it's going north, it's going south, it's up, it's down. And I tell people... Um, that, you know, our, our Christian life is a little bit like the Snake River. Sometimes you're going towards the west because ultimately the Snake River then drops into the Columbia and it ends up in the Pacific. You know, whatever water enters Jackson Lake, it all ends up in the ocean. And, you know, when you give your life to Christ, I don't care what the ups and downs are that you're going through right now. God is faithful. He will bring you through. He will help you. Maybe you're in a discouraged spot. Maybe you've been in a season of sin and you need to repent and get right. But all of this, the line 
from earth to heaven is not straight because a human's involved in the process. The Christian life is not about perfection. It is about a direction. By faith, I want to walk with God. Some days I do it great. Some days I don't do it so well. But I am on my journey, and I am going to end up there because of the faithfulness of God, not because of me. That even when I am faithless, God remains faithful. He still will get me to the end where I need to be so that I can see and I can behold his face one day. The one that gave his life for me, gave his life for you. And I pray that wherever you're at today, as we are going to rebuild a nation with the heart of God, with the people of God, and the house of God, but it always goes from the macro down to the personal, doesn't it? It's about your heart. And where are you at in your walk with Jesus today? Maybe you haven't even started your journey yet. You haven't surrendered your life to Christ so that you have forgiveness of sins and you can start this journey on your way to heaven and the usefulness that God has for you. Today you can start that journey. And if you're discouraged about your journey today, I want you, you know, it's so amazing to me the Sundays in which somebody hasn't been in church in three years and then boom, God moves on their heart and you just, you just showed up here today. You don't know why. You just showed up. You haven't been in church in a long time. And yet God wants you to know how much he loves you. That's why you're here. That he hasn't forgot about you. He hasn't given up on you. And he's not going to give up on you. You are going to make it to your final destination by his grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your incredible love for us. We pray that you would strengthen us and build us up, Lord, that we might be a part of the solution in rebuilding a nation that has turned its back on you, that has fallen from you, that has running with breakneck speed away from you. Lord, help us be part of the answer to bring the hope that you bring to each soul, Jesus, and that it might turn into an army of people that love you and love freedom and love liberty, that you would use our lives for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's stand together. You know, I have heard for decades that whatever happens in California, so, so goes California, so goes the rest of the nation, right? So the fire and revival, so goes California, so goes the rest of the nation. We get to be the tip of the spear to watch God move across our nation. Amen. Let's worship him with this closing song.